Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. We are, we are not static, right? We are not static. We are dynamic. We are changing. We are, we are constantly being formed by our circumstances, by the things around us, uh, by, by our world. And Christian spiritual formation, as we've been looking at on Wednesday nights and Sunday, Sunday mornings during this season, has to do with us being transformed so that we are more like Jesus every day. And, and we, we have to be careful, though, because we are, we are surrounded by things that are forming us, right? We're, we are surrounded by things that are forming us every day, and if we're not careful, we can be formed by the wrong things. And so... We can. <laughs> we can. So during this, this season, uh, from, from New Year until, until the beginning of the season of Lent in mid-February, on Sunday mornings, I've been looking at some things that could threaten to deform us, rather than form us more like Jesus, if we're not careful, we will allow the wrong things to, to deform us, and they will make us less like Jesus. And so this, this series is, is looking at spiritual deformation, the things that shape us to be, to be less like, like Jesus. And, and hopefully we can, as we think about the things we do purposefully and inadvertently, that are making us less like Jesus, we can think about the corrective to those things. We can, we can look at the spiritual practices that will make us more, more like Jesus. I think uh, of all the things that uh, deform us spiritually, I think so many things can be good things. Hmm. They seem good. Uh, one of the things I try to share with uh, people in small groups or, or the boards that I've served on uh, is as a pastor, I don't know if this is about you, but for me as a pastor, uh, you, you're in the Bible all the time, right? Right? Okay, so pastor, yes. you guys need to know that I don't ask rhetorical questions when I'm up here. <laughs> okay? So as a pastor, as a Christian, you, Christian, pastor, you're in the Bible all the time, right? So as a pastor, I mean, it's part of our job to be in the Bible. I mean, if we're doing a study for a small group or doing a study for a Sunday morning sermon or a Wednesday night or all these things, you're just studying, studying, studying. And before you know it, all that studying can be amazing for those things, but you haven't done any studying for you and your own journey with Jesus. And you could feel like, man, I'm seven days a week, I'm reading. And I'm reading for so many different things, and they're all amazing. But they're for you to lead others, not for you to be led by Jesus. Yeah. Even good things can, if we're not careful, can begin to deform us, can pull us away from that, that personal relationship with, with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big temptation for pastors to be constantly on the lookout for content, right? Yep. So, well, uh, today's sermon starts with, uh, with, with just this. Have you ever noticed how people seem to pick pets that look like themselves or uh, or does the pet pick the person or does the pet pick the person i'm not sure did s'mores pick you because i don't know <laughs> you need to meet s'mores the beagle yep looks just like ryan oh, sure yeah. <laughs> uh in fact i i think i have some some examples here of pets that look just like their people i or, love the i love the uh the clerical collar <laughs> and the French bulldog. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill has ideas about which ones look like certain members of the church, but I'll let him, <laughs> him reveal those. 
There's actually no scientific evidence that pets look like they're people. Uh, but I, I recently heard a, a lecture from a, a Christian psychologist, a, a Nazarene psychologist, actually, and a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, Brad Strawn, and he talked about the fact that there is scientific evidence that spouses look like one another. Did, but over time. Over time, yeah, that's they, right. They have done a study uh, with groups of people, just photos of of couples at their five-year anniversary and then their 25th anniversary. And then they start showing that to just random people saying, We're, we want to study this. Do you, what, what do you think about these, uh, these couples, these pictures of a, of a man and a woman? Do they look like each other? They don't ask them that. They just want to know uh, what are the characteristics. And overwhelmingly, people said, well that couple doesn't really look like each other, but that couple really does. That's 25 years in together. And it's amazing uh, for that transformation, that physical transformation, to be witnessed by people who don't even know you in right. these studies. Yeah, yeah, just when you thought I couldn't get any handsomer. You, you start looking like Alyssa. Turns out. <laughs> yeah, for some of us, that's a help. <laughs> right? So they, you, you open the door. Re, researchers <laughs> think that this may be due to the fact that our brains are actually wired to mirror the expressions we see in other people. We are, we are hardwired. Our brains are wired to do what we see other people do. And so there's been this interesting study uh, where they, they wire people's brains up. They wire people's brains up and then they'll have them do something like, you know, pick up a cup. And, and they see the part of the brain that is firing when they, when they pick up a cup. And they study that. They know where that is. And then they will show somebody. Somebody in the room will pick up a cup in the same motion. They find that the people who aren't picking up the cup, but their brains are, are wired, their brains fire in the exact same spot as when they personally were picking up the cup. It's like their brains are, are running a simulation. It's seeing that person, they, they are physically, well, mentally going through that same, that same motion. I, I've noticed this with our girls. When we read books at night, oftentimes our girls will mimic the, the characteristic or what the characters are doing. So somebody sighs, our girls will sigh in a book. This is, this is why, why when we, we watch movies, our, we react physically oftentimes with the characters we're, we're watching. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. Uh, you guys would all pick this up. We, we, are, uh, we are very affected by the things that we see. And it's not necessarily uh, a conscious thing. It just happens. We are influenced by the outside stimuli that's coming towards us. Uh, how many of you, when someone yawns in front of you, do you yawn? Right? Yawns are right? contagious. I, I don't ask rhetorical questions. You don't have to just <laughs> laugh. You can like raise your hand like I was doing. Uh, or I, I find it amazing, like when you tilt your head, when you're talking to somebody or a group of people, and a lot of them kind of, you know, like they, they can see you better when they go eye to eye with you. It is amazing when you think about it. What is happening in our brains? And that, and that study that shows the firing of the neurons, even though we're not doing that act, uh, we are getting the same firings of neurons that the person who's actually doing it is, is getting. 
Yeah. Some, sometimes people, people are really like, that, that is the root of empathy for, for us when we mirror what people are doing. I've noticed that you don't particularly appreciate it, though, when I walk like this. No. <laughs> so it's not always. So, you know, they say that imitation is the, is the perfect form of flattery, right? <laughs> it's not. There are some things that just don't carry. So this is, this is really fascinating, though, because what, we, what science is discovering, Brad Strawn talks about this, is that we, we have often thought that our, our face is the window to our heart, that, that our bodies are just a means of expressing what's going on inside of us. But science has discovered that the opposite is actually true, that oftentimes our faces and our, our, our expressions will inform our emotions. And so a, a, quite a few years ago, man, it's been 10 years or more ago, Alyssa and I watched a TED Talk. Uh, we, we watched this TED Talk about power posing. Have you ever heard of power posing? No. Power posing is, is making yourself big. It is, uh, it is, it is standing in a position that, that makes you feel you know, powerful. So, so you're sitting with your, your hands up and your feet up, it's, that's a powerful, a powerful feeling. If you stand like Captain America, or who stands like this? I don't know my... Captain America, okay. that's all the way, If yeah. you stand like Captain America, like I just normally do, you know, this is my... Because you look baseline, like Captain America. My baseline posture. So if, if you stand like this, studies have shown that testosterone levels will actually rise in your body. It'll, it will make you feel more confident. So if you're, if you're ever about to, to give announcements at first, Naz, go into the bathroom and stand like this in front of the mirror for a few minutes. Or you could do it right here while you give announcements. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, this is interesting, too. The studies have also found that because our expressions inform our emotions, uh, they've discovered that an interesting form of antidepressant comes by way of Botox. Because what does Botox do? It freezes your muscles. And so if, if I would get rid of these wrinkles here so I could, and, and not scowl quite so much. Yeah, that, if, those are really defined. Thank you. <laughs> if, if... <laughs> they are, haven't you noticed? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I frown a lot. The, uh, if, if you are physically unable to, to make the, the face that represents displeasure, you, you feel less displeasure. If you're physically unable to frown, you, you feel less sad. Studies have shown that, that that's true. And so this, this mirroring, this, this mimicking, uh, when, when, we, when we look at other people and react to how they are, how they are expressing themselves, when we tilt our head and frown when they frown, we begin to feel what they are feeling. This is the, this is the foundation of empathy. This is how, how we actually experience what another person is experiencing by just, by just watching what they are doing. This is, this is really powerful stuff if we think about the world around us telling us how we might feel. Yeah, uh, so how many of you, if you've ever been in, in a mood, we'll just say in a mood, uh, have had somebody tell you to smile? <laughs> Some of you are learning. Uh, 
I find it kind of, I don't know about you, I find it kind of uh, displeasing and not very fun when I'm in a mood and somebody says, you should smile. But the science shows, if you do want to get out of that mood, you could have your body tell yourself that it's not in that mood. And sometimes I think we look at those people who say, you, just, you need to smile. You look like you're in a bad mood and we want to kill them. Uh, if it's a brother or sister here in church, I mean, that, this is a safe place, right? There's concern. There's empathy coming your way. They're not just trying to be bratty about it, uh, maybe, for the most part. Yeah. Um, Depends on the person. I but suppose. to just stop and take a moment and, and maybe try to smile and help, help, help yourself by having your body inform you that you could change your mind about your mood. It's amazing. This is also really powerful when we think about the things that affect our emotions and the, the things we allow in our sphere of influence. So think, for, for instance, about social media, that it, it is designed, the, the algorithms are designed to, to, be, to stay on the things that you linger on. So if you're tempted to linger on the things that stir up emotions in you that are good and pleasing, social media might find more of those things that are good and pleasing to put in your way. But the reality is we tend to linger on those things that make us do this and make us a little, little frustrated. We tend to linger on those things. And so social media says, ah, they like that. They'll stay longer if I get more stuff like that in front of them. And, and so we can be heavily influenced by, in, in the in our hearts, in our feelings, in the, in the way we see the world based on what we allow our minds to, to linger on. And I'm really fascinated by this. This is, this is really amazing to me. The, the science is a reminder of just how complex we are and, and that we are, we are human beings. Uh, we aren't bodies that happen to have a soul or souls that happen to have a body, but we are, God created humanity as, as a body, mind, spirit, and, and they all are at play working together. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesday night as we we're discussing Dallas Willard's book about how, how all of us is working together to, to make us who we are, our, our mind, our feelings, our, our spirit, our soul, our body, even, even the world around us, our social context, is, is making us who we are. And, and I see this in, in Scripture is God wants us to, to love God with not just, he doesn't, God, when he gives the command, he doesn't just say love God. God says love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. We, we are multifaceted. Uh, but we are human. We are, we are a human being, one human being. And so uh, God has called us to love God with all that we are. So today, the unspiritual practice that I'm looking at, I'm, I'm calling outside-in faith. And outside-in faith is a spiritual life that is shaped more by the things that are around us on a day-to-day -day basis, more by the, the, the problems that we face or the good things that we face than it is by Jesus' work within us. 
when, when we look at what is around us to help our faith, sometimes it can be really helpful, right? Sometimes our circumstances cause us to praise God. Sometimes we are surrounded by good Christian people that encourage us and make us want to be more like Jesus. Sometimes everything is going our way and we can't help but say, praise God, thank you, Lord. But the reality is life has taught us that, that not every day is a good day. Not every day is a day that if we're dependent on what happens that day, it's going to draw us closer to, to God and make us more like Jesus. And so uh, we, we've learned that jobs change, that relationships come and go, and that sometimes the storms of life can threaten to sink us. And today we're looking at a story from the Gospel of Matthew where one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he, he looks to Jesus to stay above the wind and the waves, but his focus on the calm presence of Jesus doesn't last long. I think that outside-in faith is probably more prevalent than the boxy faith that Pastor talked about last week. Uh, coming from experience, uh, and maybe you would see it from a different side that I would say, how many of you are so affected by a pastor transitioning to another church that it just changes your, well, yeah, you are, and I am, <laughs> but, it just, but it just changes your, your worship. It changes your uh, daily life. I mean, you, you have a relationship with that person, yes, but it gives us the opportunity to say, is my faith more about a relationship with a human than it is about a relationship with Jesus? Uh, this is a sneaky one that Pastor Paul's going to talk to us today about. So I, I just ask if you'd stand for the reading of God's word uh, from Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. And it says this. Immediately after uh, this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he, went, he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had arisen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, Come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This story takes place just right on the heels. If you look back in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus has just finished feeding 
the 5,000 in a remote place. Uh, after, after that spectacle, Jesus wanted time to be alone to pray. And so he sent his disciples on across the lake by themselves. And, and the disciples, you'll remember, many of them were fishermen by trade. They're, they're, they are capable men in a boat, right? Especially on the Sea of Galilee. That's, it's their home waters. They've, they've been on those waters all their lives. And so it, as, they, as they go out into the middle of the lake, night falls, and, and Scripture says they fi- find themselves in trouble. They find themselves in trouble by the, by the storm that has hit them. They, they were far out from shore, strong wind and waves, heavy waves were threatening to swamp their boat. And they, they fought the storm deep into the night. And, and it wasn't until three o'clock in the morning, the, the story tells us, that Jesus came walking out onto the water toward them. You, you, can, you can imagine how scared they, they had to be. Uh, it, it had been a terrible, dreadful, long night. Uh, that having just a little bit of experience in a boat, you, you can imagine the difficulty of, of staying so attentive in the dark, trying to navigate wave to wave, that, that micro-navigation that you have to do to, to just make sure that the bow stays up, that they, they don't get swamped. But all the while, they're still doing the, the big picture navigation. They're trying to avoid places they know they need to avoid. They're trying to maybe get into a place that would provide them some shelter and some safety. And so they're, they're all night so focused on, on staying afloat. You can imagine that they, they were probably exhausted. They're, they've been bailing water. Uh, they, they didn't have the, the automatic bilge that uh, the fancy boats have these days. They were taking turns probably in the bottom of the boat, bailing out water, making sure they just stayed afloat. And it, it had gotten to the time of night, 3 a.m. If you've been up all night, 3 a.m. is the time when you start looking, maybe hoping beyond hope, that there on the eastern horizon, you'll start to see a little glimmer that the sun's about to show. Maybe they'd gotten to that point where they thought, okay, maybe, maybe if we just look to the east, we'll see, we'll see a little glimmer of hope. We'll see a little glow, just a little glow maybe we'll, we'll show on the horizon now. And you can imagine it, it may have still been hours away until sunrise, and they were just hoping beyond hope. And so here they were, experienced men on the water, familiar waters, and pushed to the limit by, by an unexpected storm. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in, in a, just a normal day? Just a, it was a routine checkup. Just a, a normal day, headed to work, went about my normal things like I always do. Familiar waters in, in the same grocery store you've shopped at for 10 years. And the phone call came. The news broke. And you felt like you were sinking. And, and the depth of what had blindsided you just kept unfolding. You felt like wave after wave was, was crashing. Everywhere you look, bad news, bad news. More reason to be afraid. More reason to wring our hands. And it's like the winds just won't let down. The sun, the sun won't show on the horizon. 
And so as Jesus' disciples were, were doing just that, scanning the horizon, hoping beyond hope that maybe, maybe the sun would start to come up, maybe in, in the quiet hours right as the sun is coming up, things would calm down. They see the last thing they ever expected to see, a figure is walking on top of the waves. The possibility of it being a ghost is as likely an explanation as anything else, right? And the, the, there is no plausible way that a person is walking on the water, right? And I imagine that the storm had, had almost taken on supernatural character at that point. It, it, and seeing something walking across the water was, was like the final confirmation they needed to know this is the storm that has come for us. This is it. This is it. And Matthew tells us they were terrified at seeing the figure walking across. <laughs> it's amazing how, how help can sometimes seem terrifying. If, if it didn't hit so close to, to home, it would almost be funny to think of the disciples being afraid to see Jesus in that moment. Light dawns at the end of the tunnel, and our, our reaction is often, well, it's the train coming. And so Jesus arrives, and the disciples are terrified. Matthew tells us immediately Jesus tried to calm their fears. He lets them hear his voice. He says, take heart, take heart. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm present. And Peter's response is kind of the opposite of what, what my response would be. I, I think if I was in that boat, I would say, Jesus, get yourself in this boat. Save us, man. We need your help. You're finally here. Maybe you can do something. They, they had seen miracles performed. They, they knew Jesus was in the saving business. And so it, it seems like Peter's reaction would be, do something. But Peter's reaction is the exact opposite. <laughs> Peter's reaction is, hey, Jesus, let me come out and, and walk on the, on the waves with you. Call me out, and I'll be able to walk on the water. And Jesus, Jesus does. Jesus says, come on, come on. And the, the power of the, the story is, is, you know, the late 90s audio adrenaline song, if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water. Um, it's, sorry, it's an old reference. Uh, but for us old people, it really hits home. Uh, the, uh, the idea that, that Peter takes his focus off of Jesus for even a moment, and he begins, he begins to sink. And amazingly, Jesus doesn't, doesn't let Peter drown, does he? As I picture it in my mind, Jesus, Jesus doesn't even let Peter's hair get wet, Right? Like, he doesn't sink very far. He's panicking. And Jesus is just so calmly right there. He, he pulls him back up. He gets him, he gets him into the boat. But Jesus' rebuke is a, is a pretty cutting remark from, from this man who Peter respected so much. Jesus says, you have so little 
What do you doubt me? Our focus on this story is so often on where Peter's eyes are directed. Is he looking at Jesus or is he looking at the storm? Jesus doesn't say anything about, look at me. Jesus says, where is your faith focused, man? What, what are you hoping on right now? And that's kind of the beauty of a good storm. Uh, you, when your only option is to trust the one who can walk on the waves. It refines our faith. It's not until they're back in the boat that Jesus finally calms the storm. Peter went out in the worst of it. <laughs> he went out into the worst of it. And from the, the comfort of the boat, it seemed like a good idea to get out into the storm with Jesus. And, and Jesus lets him experience the full force of the wind to see the, the full size of the waves up close and personal. But when, when they are back in the boat, once Jesus has rescued Peter, then he calms the storm. It's amazing, as soon as he calms the storm, the disciples who are in the boat are ready to worship. Right away, they, 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 they want to worship. Surely, surely you really are the Son of God. As I have thought about, about this passage over the course of this week and, and uh, how the storms of life tend to, to shape us, I, I've been thinking the, the, antidote, the antidote to a faith that's shaped by the storms is, is a faith that is, is shaped by looking at Jesus, by worshiping before, during, and after the storm. When we're able to, to worship and focus on Jesus before, during, and after, the, the storms, they rage. They suck. The storms hurt us, and they're awful. But when we're able to keep our focus on Jesus, he's able to shape our faith and help us keep our faith headed in the right direction. I want to give you another, another biblical illustration of this. I, I, I hope it fits. It, it's inspiring to me. It's, it's a, a thought that kind of came to me this week through, through my devotions as I was trying to be shaped but not looking for content. Content came to me. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Uh, in, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has this incredible vision in, in Isaiah chapter 6. It's it's a passage many might be familiar with where, where Isaiah is taken up into, into the throne room of God. The, um, we, he has this incredible vision. God is on his throne and he's surrounded by angels and the angels are singing and flying around him, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah knows in, immediately upon seeing where he is that he is not worthy of being there. And he says, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so an angel grabs a coal and purifies his lips, and from, a coal from the altar, and touches it, his mouth with the burning coal and it purifies him. The angel says, look, now, now you are pure. After, after that has, has happened, 
the voice of the Lord speaks and, and says, Who, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? The question is an open question. Anybody could have responded, right? There, this isn't a question directed at Isaiah, and this is, this is an important piece in Isaiah and a reminder to us. God is calling out, looking for whom he might send. Uh, God is not saying, oh, I've got the pastors, so I'll just send them. I've got the missionaries, we'll just send them. God is calling to, to the earth, saying, who will go for me? Isaiah happens to be there and says, here I am, I'll go, I'll do it. God, if you need somebody, I'm right here. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Let me go, here I am. And, and uh, the Lord's response is, is interesting because you would think, here's Isaiah, like so faithful, so caught up into God's presence, having this amazing experience with God okay, you're willing, Isaiah, we're going to bless you all over. We're going we're gonna to just give you every, every imaginable blessing that you could experience, Isaiah. But this is what the Lord says in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of those people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. And so Isaiah's got the message, but it's not a real cheerful message. It's a hard message. People are going to hear Isaiah speak, they're not going to understand. They're going to see the things that Isaiah does, they're not going to learn anything from him. Their hearts are going to be hard. Their ears are going to be plugged. And so Isaiah thinks, okay, so it's going to be a tough first month. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough start. I get it. That's okay. And he, he has the, the braveness, the bravery to ask the question. Uh, then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted. And the whole country is a wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away in the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Even if a tenth rem a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as the terebinth or the oak tree leave a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Isaiah thinks, okay, I'm responding to God's call. Where's my megachurch? Where are the accolades? God, I, I've seen, I've seen that, that preacher on TV. He's got a, a private jet. <laughs> Where's mine? God says, they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. And it's going to go on all of your ministry. God, God doesn't promise a life of ease, even, even when we keep our focus on him. God doesn't promise a life of ease. Uh, when, when we are faithful, we will still fight storms to the very end. Don't let me be too fatalistic here. 
There are many, many good days in life. There are so many reasons to smile, and you're going to have so many days in your life when you are so blessed, you just look around and you say, how do I deserve this? God, thank you. But believers are, are called to be people who keep our gaze fixed on Jesus in the good and the bad and the ugly. The people who are put forth as exemplars in scripture, the people that we're supposed to follow are people like, like Peter, who followed God until he was crucified upside down. Like Isaiah, who preached to people who would not soften their heart and hear the message of the Lord. The exemplars of scripture are, are not the people who live in comfortable houses. They're not the people who have power to do whatever they want on this earth. The examples of scripture are the people who are faithful in spite of how little power they have, how little their voice is heard, but are faithful to God day in and day out. And uh, our, our responsibility, our, our hope in, in the midst of a world that is, is shaping us and will shape us is to continue to focus on Jesus. I'm going to lead you through a, an activity this, this morning, just a, a time of prayer. I'm just going to lead you through some prayer to one, one tool that maybe will help. Will help you as, as you fight storms that might arise in your life. So I invite you to just sit, hands on your lap, close your eyes and pray. Lord, we welcome your presence. We know that you are going to give us days when we are so much better than we deserve and we praise you and thank you. We thank you for the good days. We thank you, God, that you bless us beyond what we are worthy of, more than we could ever hope or imagine, and certainly more than we are worthy of. God, we thank you for those, those wonderful days. We thank you for the many blessings that you have placed in our lives. We recognize, God, that we often mistake prosperity for blessing, and we repent of that. We, we ask you, God, to remind us that the blessing that you want to pour out in our lives is to bring you glory and honor. The, that the way that you bless us is, is by giving us chances to respond to you, to say yes to you, to be faithful to you, even when the storms of life are raging. And so, God, this morning we, we focus ourselves on your presence that is with us. Jesus has promised to never forsake us, even to the very end of the age. And so, God, we, we focus on the presence of Jesus right here in front of you. We welcome your presence. We thank you for your presence, God. I invite you to, to breathe deeply. To know the presence of God. To sense God's presence at work in you. I'd invite you to, to feel deep down inside of you the peace that comes from God's presence. As, as you feel deep down 
the peace of God's presence. You may now begin to think about those things that threaten to rob you of that peace. You may think about the situation at work that is just causing you stress. You may think of that family relationship that needs work. All the while continuing to focus on, on the peace of God's presence that is with you. He has not left you. God is still right there, still offering you peace. But you can see through the lens of Jesus' presence in your life that you could, you could face that, that storm with peace. You could trust in Jesus even, even in the midst of the trouble that is facing you. Let's go back to, to just focusing on his presence, to just once again fully experiencing the peace that he provides, the contentment in your heart. Maybe it's time to, to list a few of the blessings that are around you, to remember his goodness in so many ways. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Help us, Lord, to not be shaped by the storms around us, but to allow the presence of Jesus in our lives at every turn to shape us, determine our, our future and our hope, Lord. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. That's just a simple practice I'd encourage you to, to consider when, when storms are raging, when, when it is difficult, to just allow yourself to enter into the presence of Jesus. Some people call it finding your breath, just stopping and, and recognizing his presence with you and, and finding, finding his peace at work within you. I encourage you to do that day in and day out. Sometimes all day. <laughs> Sometimes all day. All right. Why don't you stand and let me bless you as, as you go. The, the story is about keeping our, our eyes on Jesus. It's about keeping our faith on him. And so as you go, may you find new peace and hope each day in having your faith solely in Jesus Christ. God bless you as you go. You are dismissed.